We are thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he died, that he, that he rose, and that he, he intercedes for us, he advocates for us. Julian and I, just a few minutes ago, had one of those 11-second theological discussions during a song service and during a sermon sometimes we have them. We keep them brief. But uh, the line, he chose a criminal's end. He didn't just accept it, but he chose a criminal's end. That, that uh, impacted us this morning. The, the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, chose a criminal's end uh, for you and me. The more I understand the magnitude of God's mercy, the more my heart wells up with thanksgiving. The more I understand God's mercy, the more my heart wells up with thanksgiving. In our men's life group, we've been going through a study of, of 10 men from the Bible. These 10 men all did great things for God. Men of the Bible like Noah, uh, Moses, Job, David, Paul, among others. But the point of the study also is to realize how flawed these 10 men were. Each of them made mistakes in their lives and sinned miserably against God and man. But the Lord still used them in, in big ways. We're reminded that God is forgiving, merciful, and he uses flawed people to accomplish his will. We're looking at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning, and Peter the Apostle is also one of the 10 men listed in our life group study guide. During the earliest days of the church, God used Peter to spread the good news about the salvation that comes through Christ. And as a result of his experience of walking with Jesus, learning from him, and the saving grace that he received, his life welled up with thanksgiving and a desire to serve Christ. Before we uh, read the passage in 1 Peter, let's look at some background on the Apostle Peter. Some of us relate well with how Peter was in his early days of learning from the Lord Jesus. Peter was the speak and act first before thinking it through disciple, right? There are many examples from Scripture of his missteps, uh, just a few of them. The transfiguration of Christ is mentioned in three of the Gospels. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a high mountain, away from everyone, away from everything else. And God had a specific purpose in mind for Peter, James, and John to witness. He brought Elijah and Moses together. And Christ was magnificently transfigured. The Bible says that his face shone as the sun and his clothes as white as light. God the Father was drawing attention to Jesus the Son, drawing attention to the coming fulfillment of Old Testament law and prophecy with the new covenant. Law and prophecy symbolized by the presence of Moses and Elijah. Matthew's account says that the three disciples were exceedingly afraid and they didn't know what to say. No, Peter, filled the gap. He says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let's build a monument for yourself and for Elijah and for Moses. 
while he was still speaking, a cloud overshadowed them and God the Father interjected, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The father was exalting the son and Peter, James, and John were witnessing what was happening there on the mountain. This moment was about the coming of the Messiah and the establishment of the new covenant. Jesus was the focal point, not Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, and Peter missed it. A second example of Peter's foot and mouth personality. Jesus, to illustrate, he came as a servant king to serve and save the lost, gathered the disciples together, and chose to illustrate this by washing the disciples' feet. And instead of waiting on the Lord, Peter stepped in. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus' response, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Again, not understanding the significance of the moment, Peter said, then wash my hands and my head also. So Jesus further explained the symbolism of the feet washing. Jesus was a pa patient teacher. You can imagine the other disciples, oh, Peter. Just <laughs> one, one third example, maybe the one that he's most infamous for is towards the end of the ministry with the disciples, Jesus told of his coming death. Peter was bold in predicting he would defend Jesus to the death. And as events unfolded when the religious leaders and soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter even attacked a member of the mob. But when the time came to stand firmly with Jesus, Peter denied him three times. Low point in his life, I'm sure. Just as Christ said he would, Peter turned his back on the one he swore he would die with. There are several other examples of Peter's lapses in judgment, times when Jesus corrected him. Peter has more regrettable moments than all the disciples put together. In fact, if John was a disciple that Jesus loved, Peter was a disciple that Jesus rebuked. But as he is with us, as he is with us, Jesus was patient with Peter, loved him, changed and equipped him. Peter also had moments of intense clarity even in those early days. Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter rightly answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, even in his early days, knew who Jesus was. Immediately after the death and resurrection of Christ, the Gospel of Mark offers an account in Mark 16, 1 through 7. You can follow with me there. There's something that I want to point out that uh, just uh, my attention was drawn to in the last couple of weeks. Mark 16, 1 through 7. Uh, right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this occurs. And when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. 
See the place where they laid him. Listen to verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. Tell his disciples and Peter. Peter was also a disciple, but it's called out specifically by name. It's as if the Lord especially wanted Peter to know, you denied me three times and failed me miserably in the end. But I want you to know that you will see me, as I told you. And you are part of my plan to spread the good news about salvation. Despite the self-inflicted trials and mistakes Peter made, God still used him powerfully to share with others the good news about Jesus Christ. His relationship with Jesus changed him and refined his belief. In Acts 4, we see a, a seasoned, mature Peter arrested for his faith and brought before the priests and religious leaders and state with confidence that there is salvation in no one else other than Jesus whom you crucified. Peter grew in grace in knowledge and courage. Peter's experience with God's mercy brought out a heart of boldness and thanksgiving. Let's read our text in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick up in, in verse 3. Prayer of thanksgiving. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, we serve a merciful God. He is a just God and his mercy is great. As a result of our sin, we were under the sentence of death. But through the redemptive work of Christ, God provided the righteous answer by which he could save the condemned and still be just. He's a just and merciful God. God's mercy does not mean that he is overlooking our sin. In our case, it is a loving redirection of the judgment of that sin placed on his perfect son. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I'm thankful for God's mercy. Also in verse 3, Scripture says that we are reborn to a living hope through the resurrection. If God the Father hadn't sent his only son to die and rise again, the church wouldn't exist. God the Son submitted to the will of the Father. You recall in the last hours in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
uh, Jesus troubled with the impending separation of God and taking on sin uh, for, for all, all the world, says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. If Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, there's no mercy, no hope, no forgiveness. The death and resurrection of Christ is the source of our living and enduring hope. The hope our rebirth speaks of is the future aspect of salvation. Rebirth provides us an inheritance spoken of here, which we will enjoy in heaven for eternity. New birth or being born again is an act of God. Jesus himself speaks of the need to be born again. We all are physically born with a flawed, sinful nature, spiritually dead in our sin. This is a spiritual rebirth and is given to the person who confesses their sin, trusts, and believes that Jesus paid the penalty. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm thankful. I'm no longer dead in sin, but alive in Christ. Verses 4 and 5 of our text speak of the fact that we have a secure, everlasting inheritance because it is guarded by God. This inheritance never corrupts, never fades away or is blemished. It can never corrode or crack. Throughout history, we see that man's systems, kingdoms, empires, and countries, they crumble and they're destroyed. Not so with God's kingdom. Last week, we, we celebrated Veterans Day. We honor those who have served our country by defending it, and we remember those who gave their lives in defense of this great country of ours. I love our country, what it stands for, its accomplishments and history. But like every other kingdom, every other country, the United States will fade away. It's not everlasting. We rejoice that God's kingdom, built on the redemptive work of Christ, will never end or be destroyed. This inheritance remains in perfect condition and never loses value. That it is incorruptible or undefiled means that it is sin-proof. Sin will not enter into this inheritance and weaken or destroy it. Adam ruined the perfect relationship he had with God in the garden. But because Jesus has won victory over sin and death, man will live in perfect unity with God without sin. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Individually, as God's children, he preserves our inheritance for us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, and it is God who establishes us in Christ and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our, in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit reveals to us some of the riches that are ours in Christ. 
When we follow Christ, we come to understand more and more the depth of God's love and his intention for us. And in addition to this process of growing and maturing in Christ, the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance will be kept securely for us for that day when we see the Lord Jesus face to face. I'm thankful that our inheritance is secure. Verses 6 and 7, our faith is refined by trials. Our faith is precious to us, to us. Faith is trust and belief. Peter is writing to people here in this, in this uh, letter who have been persecuted for their belief. Many had seen relatives and friends imprisoned, punished, even killed for their faith in Christ. The kingdom of God was ratified by the new covenant through Jesus Christ, but this new kingdom was in conflict with the Roman Empire. Some had experienced personal persecution as a result of their faith. Today, this kingdom of God in this day, in this hour, is in conflict with many governments and religious institutions across the globe. A couple of weeks ago, we had Todd Moore come and and visit with us, and uh, we heard how many believers in Christ across the world are being imprisoned and punished and persecuted for their faith, some even killed. Persecution and trials test the genuineness of our faith. We Americans are, are not persecuted as the early church was, and we don't experience the same level of persecution that many of our brothers and sisters across the world do. But believers in Christ are seeing a growing level of condemnation across our country and across our culture. There are already those here in America who are being punished for taking a stand for their obedience and commitment to our Savior and his word. So persecution for our faith is not a surprise. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. The apostle John said, do not be surprised that the world hates you. Trials, though, come in many ways other than persecution for our faith, health, relationships, physical disaster, financial loss, loss of loved ones, other trials test our faith. Sadness, depression can enter in. We all experience this in our lives. Psalm 66.10 says, For thou, O God, hast tested us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. The process of, of refining gold and silver is to apply intense heat on it so that the less valuable elements like copper, zinc, or lead can be burned away. This refining process allows silver and gold to be used in its best way possible. God refines us so that he can use us for his purposes, so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. He refines us so that we will be more dependent on him and show others the faith we have in his love for us, despite our circumstances. I've got, to, I've got to pause a moment just to reflect on the testimony of, of Jacob and Penelope as he goes through his physical trials. And I know 
I know many of, of others of you have, have gone through similar difficulties, but the faith that uh, Jacob is showing in the goodness of God through this great physical difficulty is, is strengthening my own. And I'm so thankful for that. And we continue to, uh, to, to thank, thank the Lord for his testimony and lift them up in prayer. I don't wake up in the morning each day and seek out trial and difficulty. But when it comes my way, I should ask, God, what can I learn from this trial? How can I grow in my trust and belief that you are sovereign and you are good? In a very small way, I experienced a trial a week ago. Uh, Friday morning, a week ago Friday, Jill and I were driving home, flat tire. So we pulled into Les Schwab. He took good care of us. Relatively new tires, but he took good care of us. No big deal. These things happen. Sunday morning, on the way to church, the other back tire was flat. So as we circled around to uh, get the truck so that we, we wouldn't be late for church, I was irritated. <laughs> two flat tires in two days. I, I, I had some tension building up in my shoulders, but I'd been studying and, and looking and <laughs> considering this passage. And, and quickly my thought went to, Lord, what are you teaching me here? You're teach, teaching me patience and reminding me, like our good friend Mike Reichard often quotes from Proverbs 16, man can make his plans, but God directs his steps. I want to read uh, Romans chapter 5, which is also an, an inspired statement on the benefits of suffering. You can turn with me there if you like. Romans chapter 5, we're just going to read the first five verses. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. If we trust God, even in the midst of our suffering, our character is refined and developed. And as we are changed to become more like Christ, our hope in him is strengthened. And this hope in the Lord never disappoints. I'm thankful that the Lord refines my faith. I shared with the, uh, the youth and a few veterans last week that without Christ in my life, my life would be a disaster. Because I know my tendencies. I know that without him, I'm corrupt and can easily be deceived. But when I confessed my sin and accepted the free gift of salvation and chose to follow Jesus, he directs my path. Our hope is for eternity. Looking forward to enjoying the fullness of our inheritance spoken of 
but also our hope compels us to trust Jesus more, to love him more, to follow him more. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Our righteousness is in Jesus. That's why we exalt him. That's why we lift him up. That's why we talk about him so much. His desire for us is that we become more and more like him, that we get to know him, that we understand his sacrificial love for us. I'm closing, but I want you to consider two things. Take, take, take these home with you, maybe. If you have experienced God's mercy in your life, live an attitude of thanksgiving, not just because it's Thanksgiving week, but live an attitude of thanksgiving. Seek to be unified with other believers in love for God and love for people so that we can be thankful examples for the lost. Live an attitude of thanksgiving. Secondly, when trials come into your life, live an attitude of worshipful learning. What is God teaching me? How does this experience refine my character? Where does my true hope lie? Allow God to refine your faith even through difficulty. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we thank you for the privilege that we have to come to you in Jesus' name. Can't come to you in our own name. We come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for him. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that he willingly chose the end of a criminal. We thank you that he he died for us, that you rose him from the dead, and that he walks with us. We thank you for your spirit in our lives. We we pray that we would be sensitive to his leading. We pray that if there are any any here this morning who haven't uh, made that confession of, of faith in Christ, accepted that free gift of salvation, chosen to follow Jesus, that they might be compelled to do so even today in the season of Thanksgiving. So, Father, we, th- we thank you for the time that we can have today. We pray that as we go out, we might uh, speak boldly and be courageous and be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.